Red Quarterly Slush Pile. Um, guess where we are today? Where? Nobody who's here is allowed to guess. <laughs> <laughs> we are in um, a recording studio <gasps> in LeBeau. In LeBeau, wow. which is like one of the colleges within the university that actually has money. So this place is like wow. really impressive. But wow. I am going to say it. I'm just going to say this. I'm going to say chains. Tables that move, <laughs> cords, curtains. My mind is is wandering about what might get recorded in this space. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, but it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun well, to think. Well, it's nice that you're back in a studio, but I bet you miss your blue sky walls. Um, not really, not yet. I'm still. <laughs> I'm fascinated by the lights, the amount of lights in this room. Mm, mm. My goodness, there must be 80. Okay. Giant, giant. They're three feet wide. I don't know if they bring in dinosaurs every now and then or something. Dinosaurs? Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs? Sheree, <laughs> <laughs> <Three>, intervene. <laughs> so I don't know. So it's kind of it's kind of cool. But um, yeah, so we're still in Philly. We'll be back in our Corman studio in October, we're hearing. Um, but we're using this one so that we don't have to be in the Blue Cinder Block space mm. and hear toilets flushing and people Ooh. chatting in the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the eye that's blathering on is Kathleen Volkmiller also known as me. Um, I run the graduate program in publishing here and co-edit the Painter Bright Quarterly and try to write essays and memoir. And um, on my right at this weird curved table, we're at a high top that moves. And it has a slight curve to it, like the views desk, okay? <laughs> Oh, I got it. it. I got it. I got it. Thank you. Yeah. Like the view. Yeah. Okay. All right. That was very helpful. Yeah. We're going to take a photo. <laughs> I just realized we have to call Ryan back. Um, but on my right. So can I be Barbara Walters? Is she still on the view? Oh, she died like seven years ago. She's still here. I met her less than seven years ago. I'm Barbara Walters. <laughs> to my right is Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> this is Tim Fitz, I'm the author of Hypothermia and the new short story collection, Go Home and Cry for Yourself. He's demanding respect. And he demands respect. To my right is Cherie DeVos. Hi, I'm Cherie. I don't know anyone on the view right now, so I can't take another personality. Um, <laughs> I am currently the editorial assistant at PBQ. And I am a junior at Drexel, studying multiple things at once and don't really know what I'm doing. But, um, oh, yes, she does. <laughs> She's downplaying her skill set. Yeah, that's about it. I write things sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. All right, Joe, say hi. Hi. It's Joe. Joe. <laughs> Joe Zhang, our fabulous sound engineer and um, musician in the, in the, that we hear in the beginning of this um, amazing podcast. Mm -hmm. So who do we have where out there in the world? Hi. There? Jason? Jason, I'm Samantha? here. Uh, I'm Jason Snyderman. I'm coming to you from Brooklyn today. 
I did not make it in to my office. <laughs> I spent too long in my bathroom reading Facebook, and now I'm now I'm coming to you from my home. Nice. Did you say in your bathtub reading Facebook? <laughs> in my bathrobe. Oh, no, that I, would be uh, risky. I don't, I don't know if I'd take that uh, risk. It's kind of an issue for me. Like, I really want to have... <laughs> I actually fantasize about like the bathroom upgrade in which I get a juicy <laughs> bathtub. Um, and that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> what color is your bathrobe? My, bath- my bathroom is actually kind of um, black with a silver pattern on it. It's a kind of, oh. it's a sheer mm. sort of, it's, I mean, it's polyester, but it's like a silky kind of. Of course it would it's be. It's not a giant terrier. <laughs> <laughs> it's very similar to the to the silk hey, pants that you gave me. Hey, hey, don't judge. Don't judge a giant terry cloth bath. No, no, I had the giant terry cloth bathrobe too, but that's my winter bathrobe. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, I'm using that as my segue. So I'm sitting here in Abu Dhabi. It's it's you know nighttime. The sun has set, and I'm in my apartment, and I'm freezing because we keep the air conditioning down so low. And I'm and I'm wearing a giant terry cloth bathrobe, um, which is part parka, part Chewbacca. <laughs> so just so we're clear about that, I'm cold in Abu Dhabi and my husband loves, loves to keep the AC churning. Um, and as I sit here looking out my window, by the way, this is Marion and I run the writing program. <laughs> um, and I'm looking at the skyline of the city of Abu Dhabi and I say that because I suspect I'm looking in Samantha's direction. So Samantha, are you there? I am. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm uh, across the water from Marion on a <laughs> called Ream. It's pretty romantic. <laughs> you are. <laughs> and um, I work with Marion and I'm a writing instructor at NYU Abu Dhabi. Awesome. I have to tell you, Abu Dhabi ladies, that I got a a letter from the woman who's coordinating things, um, you know, my overnight, so I guess her early morning. And one of the little like tips that they were giving us who are coming to the graduate fair was, um, it's very, very hot here, but all of the buildings are very, very cold. (laughs) So bring that. Bring what's appropriate for that. I 105 degrees and 60 inside. A Chewbacca bathrobe is what you need. And I got you. You're covered, okay? Okay. All right. Yeah, we're all in bathrooms here, too, at work. <laughs> in this very special room. The bathrobe episode. <laughs> That's awesome. It, and it now and forever shall be bathrobe episode. Um, so speaking of, maybe we should talk, maybe we should get on to the episode and um, talk about what we have to talk about today. Uh, we have three poems by Nick Lance. And um, what I'm already really uh, grooving on is how different they are from one another in format, format, topic, approach, every single little thing. And... Um, I'm super excited. Uh, so we shall we shall get rolling with an urn for ashes by Nick Lance. Who would like to read? I'll read it. All righty. All right, Samantha. The atoms that made up Julius Caesar's body, burned on a pyre, spread by wind and time, have since dispersed far and wide. And statistically speaking, you have in you some in, infinitesimal bit of carbon or hydrogen 
from his hand or tongue, or maybe some piece of the foot that, crossing a river, turned a republic into an empire. But that means you carry with you also the unnamed dead, the serfs and farmers, foot soldiers and clerks, and their sandals, and the axles of chariots, and incense burned at an altar, and garbage smoking in a pit outside, a great city at the center of an empire. That you are a vessel carrying the ashes of many empires, and the ashes of people burned away by empires, their sweet, unheard melodies. And look how finely wrought you are, how precise your features, your very form kind of ceremony for transporting the dead through the living world. Nice. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. I really like this because I get so sick of hearing about how we're stardust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, it's technically true, like all of our all of our molecules are formed in stars. Um, but that, like, the circulation of um, molecular matter, um, I thought this was such a great job of kind of playing with that, working through it. And, you know, and, and also like touching on that, you know, we're also, you know, everyone who does their past life regressions turns out to have been like Cleopatra <laughs> or someone, you know, fabulous or famous or well-known. And to kind of like both take that large historical, like great man view of history, but then also to kind of like see um, all people as connected in this very literal material way, uh-huh. um, kind of gets it so much of what a sort of like woo-woo reincarnation and like magic thinking gets you to, but without having to leave the realm of the physical and the truthful. And I, I was, I was impressed. So I want to jump in and say on that sort of like woo woo sensibility that it's also, it feels like it's directly in conversation with Hamlet, right? So I mm. I can't but hear, what is the line? Like, like the king will go of progress through the guts of a beggar, right? It's like Hamlet right. in the, in the grave talking about how we, we all move from the living world into the dead and, and then move, move through like just, you know, like, like just move through that, that system. And what this poem does is like flip it. It's like, you know, the king will go a progress through the guts of a beggar and the beggars go through us, right? Like we're all, we're all of it connected into this bigger system. And I think this poem does that beautifully by, by alluding to and flipping some of the ideas that come out of that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and it couldn't be better said but that last line your very form a kind of ceremony for transporting the dead through the living world yeah 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 i love it i love it i love it i love it (laughs) are people are since jefferson starship people do still say we are stardust or is that Neil Young? That was Crimes and Stills and Ash, wasn't it? We are, we are stars. Yeah. I think I was a sheep farmer every single time. What so happened? I think <laughs> <laughs> that I've been a sheep farmer every single past life <laughs> until this one. I don't have past lives. Okay? <laughs> it spills my coffee in anger about you're not having a past life. 
What? Wait, wait. Sorry. Are you still in your bathrobe, though? I am not. I am now wearing clothes. Oh, shoot. I'm sorry. That's being grumpy. Spill your coffee. I'm like wearing clothes. So that means you were naked at some point. <laughs> Bathrobes kind of split the difference. I told That's you there's the something about, about this <laughs> yeah so this this is uh it sounded so lovely samantha when you read it the language is beautiful and the message is lovely even though jason you know no, i'm kidding the language is beautiful and um yeah what are you thinking tim yeah i i uh, largely concur i the first third of the poem I sort of had an urge to not like the poem because I had also heard about how like at some point every breath has a molecule of Julius Caesar's breath. So I was, I was when I started reading this, I was thinking, uh oh, but then I liked that we're also breathing the breaths of farmers and serfs and foot soldiers. And then I thought it was going to turn into something grotesque, but it turned nice in a non cheesy way. <laughs> so I really loved the, the fluidity of the poem and how it moved from one thing. And by the time we get to the end of the poem, the the cliche that I thought we were getting close to at the beginning for me was was pretty distant. So I I really enjoyed the poem altogether. It wasn't it, it didn't get me too close to the cheesy part at the beginning. I mean I kind of I kind of like that too. I, I like taking a risk where we're we do things that might be almost might be corny, but getting it right up to the edge, as long as we pull it back mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. fast enough and far enough. Yeah. So, dear, yeah. dear listeners and, and friend podcasters, usually Tim is, his pen is working the whole time and there's circles and slashes and X's and arrows and commentary. Yeah. And this yeah. time there's just brackets and he's just made it prettier. He's put a little frame around it. <laughs> So, if we can trust that. <laughs> well, so, yeah, you know what, I, just, I, just a final word, too, on, on the title, An Urn for Ashes, right? Like, the way the poem, like, appeals to your sense of being part of the progress here, right? That, like, you are carrying the dead behind you because you're, like, the living vessel, but mm -hmm. you're ultimately part of that system. Like, you two are going to be ashes inside the next urn like it's it's a really elegant thought process that that works across the poem so i'm i'm down with this i'm really digging this poem hey guys since we have three all by nick lance maybe we should just vote let's do it let's do it yeah one two three vote wait i can't oh yeah <laughs> And it's unanimous. Woohoo! Go, Nick. Way to start off. So exciting. Thank you very much. And I would like to um, ask everyone listening to walk through the world today as if you're performing a ceremony. <laughs> I like that so much. Okay, who is doing this one? This poem, Starvation Ranch, is set up with a lot of white space and indense, and it's it's pretty wild on the page. So um, our lovely co-op Cherie will be putting it on our website. So you can look, follow along, look after you hear this, look while you're hearing this, unless you're driving, then don't. <laughs> um, who's going to read it? I can read it. All right. Oh, go Cherie. All right. All right. 
Um, starvation Ranch. Frank Height, my mother's father's mother's father, named his farm Starvation Ranch. And in one July, I balanced high on a ladder to repaint those white letters on the same red barn where they've been for a hundred years. But that summer is a sketch, a note written in the margin of a book I gave away. I shot rabbits and learned to drive and listen to the same Lou Reed tape on loop in the upper bedroom of my family's farmhouse. In a closet I found my grandmother's high school yearbook in which she had crossed out the name of each classmate who had died. I learned there are three kinds of garbage. The kind that goes in the compost heap to feed the garden that grows the peppers and the corn. The kind that goes in the ditch to feed the coyotes who howl at night. The kind that goes in an old oil drum to burn. I learned to love the indentation my grandmother's pencil left in the paper over a name, like the tally marks I carved into a tree for each rabbit I shot. I learned that a stone arrowhead taken from a newly plowed field that has held it for hundreds of years is still sharp enough to cut my palm. I learned to love the hiss of silence on the tape after a song ended, the sound of time like the susurrus of insects at dusk, like a broom whisking clean the floor of some upper room. I learned how to walk the perimeter of the house and feel in the grass the edges of the old foundation, a version of house that burned, that disappeared, that was rewritten, excuse me, that disappeared, that was rewritten. And I learned how to walk farther out into the pastures to spot the earthen mounds left behind by people who remain only in names of rivers and country roads. That was one summer. Decades later, I learned that the barn I painted was not even the original, which had been replaced, bored by beam, years before. And I learned that barns are red because red paint is cheap, because iron is abundant, because dying stars sighed iron atoms into space, and those atoms gathered here on Earth became the Earth, became blood and arrowheads and steel girders holding up towers in the red paint of barns. Hmm. Wow. I don't know if I'll ever look at the, a yearbook the same way. <laughs> or a barn, for goodness sake. I would never be, I would, I just wouldn't, I, I don't know any, who any of those people are anymore. If I, if I went through my yearbook, like, oh. Like You'd have to people. Facebook them in your robe and see oh. whether they were still with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't like the stardust. <laughs> I wondered if it got ruined at the end for you, Jason, with the stardust. And I also felt like, um, yeah, I, I didn't love that. The stardust felt like a turn in large part because there was the awareness of um, indigenous civilizations that are no longer there. And so the turn towards a kind of like, universal moment felt a little less um it felt like a way out of having to like really investigate um something lost rather than kind of like you know kind of like staying with that loss mm -hmm. i'm hearing you Well, you know what, on that point, a point of loss though, it's like, I love, I love Kathy that you just like invoke the image of Jason and Facebook in his bathrobe mm -hmm. <laughs> right? and, and a yearbook because um, mild non sequitur, but my mother just went to a funeral and it was um, her brother's wife who passed away. And there, you know, she's like 
you know, the, the woman who died was in her nineties. My mom hasn't seen like that side of the family. And I can't tell you how many years, right. But she went to that funeral and there were people in the audience who rem- remembered her from her high school days. So like, you know, when these, when these old, old people get together and have that kind of specificity and recollection, there's something about that way of remembering each other, like yearbook memory that feels like absolutely anchored in a very specific time and pre-Facebook place, right? Oh, like right. It's, um, it's like, a, like an abacus, like, but it's a way of remembering that I don't think we, we will experience, you know, I think maybe that, that might've passed, right. With, with the way that our memory has been dispersed out. Right. So right. I, it's too easy to Facebook look up each other and yeah. not use our memory. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But you know, one thing that I was really struck by too, is all of this, all of this remembering the dead or counting the dead, the strikeouts in the yearbook, but then the, um, the tally marks on the tree for each rabbit he shot. Mm-hmm. And then, and I love the um, headstones for the people whose names wait. The earthen mounds left behind by people who remain only in names of rivers and country roads. Mm-hmm. Love that. Because it's so cool when you go to an old cemetery and you see all those, you know, oh, wow, that's why Stokes Road is Stokes Road. And, you know, Haddonfield is Haddonfield, right? Mm. It's so, it's so, I don't know, I, li- I like that a lot, all of this history what, building what on itself. About, um, what I like about this is how there are so many different images of, like, the different way we write and read text, where I feel like there's, you know, the painted barn letters, there's the grandmother's hand, there's a sketch, there's carvings on the tree, um, there's, there's a few images there that um, really play with this idea that most of what we're reading now and what a lot of people are reading right now are, like, digital and I like that this takes this out of that flatness of mm. words a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and let me just jump in and say too, like that, I, I know we've all seen it too, like, you know, old ads or old signs on barns or on the sides of buildings that have sort of been like faded, but are still present, like sort of like Coca-Cola ads that have sort of faded out, but are still sort of like legible. Those are called ghost signs. Right. And some people collect images of them. And that I love that notion of like that sort of like layering and sort of palimpsestic stuff, right? Like where it's Mm -hmm. like one image beneath another image that fades out, that fades out. And then you in this poem you get and also this barn isn't even the first barn. There's a barn behind the barn, behind the barn, behind the barn. That's that's part of this this thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And walking around feeling the foundation through the grass. That is so cool. Have you guys had that experience? It's really, you know. I think, yeah, cool. not, not around the barn, but I think somewhere no, in, in the yeah. south, definitely. Yeah. There's a lot of grass around, like, my family's houses and stuff like that. It's a different experience. So, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it's difficult to translate the spacing, but I thought a lot of those, um, a lot of the spaces where he took space <laughs> was really well done. Um, like the floor of some upper room. That was one summer. Decade. Yeah. 
later I learned. Yeah, I mean, it seems. But then, it, Kathleen, I'm sorry to interrupt. Look at look at the last stanza, right? It looks radically different than the rest. And that's where, in it, where it's most like on the nose. It's like, by the way, if you didn't get it, we're stardust. The problem, <laughs> the problem with that is I feel like right? that is, I mean, I don't feel like that's the other poem. Mm -hmm. I don't think he, he never says we're stardust. I know, but it's saying the same idea. The barns. I mean, you could clip that off and put up the end of the other poem and it would kind of work. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move this table. Just dance a break. <laughs> barns are red because. <laughs> well, I mean, it really uh, gets, what am I trying to say? Um, um, adrenaline there like it rolls yeah. in a way that the rest of it didn't when it builds there a momentum there's a momentum that last dance up i love the idea of the red paint being red because it's cheap but then they get into the whole stars and atoms and i'm like hmm. when is part of this bond going to be julius caesar <laughs> Then but then it doesn't get there, so you shouldn't it, even say that. No, it's, it's, it's not about it's only there in my mind. It doesn't get there. You only just read that last poem. If, if I read this poem in a different journal, I would think, oh, he's doing that again. That's kind of interesting. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would. But if, but if I just read the poem, if I turned the page, I'm like, oh, is this all he does? You wouldn't. <laughs> there are a lot of chords in here. There's a lot of chains. <laughs> People. Why did you have to quiet? I don't know. I guess everybody's contemplative about their demise and whether or not they are stars and who's going to breathe them in later. <laughs> I'll say that I, I agree um, that the end of this reminds me of the first poem. And I think that I would think about the first poem and I don't think it's just because I'm reading them right next to each other. <laughs> Despite what I like about yeah. it. Yeah. That being said, though, I love some of the images. I love the garbage images, the three types of garbage, the compost heap, the coyotes, the peppers. I love the tape hiss. I love mm -hmm. the, the character listening to a tape. Um, there's a lot of wonderful little images. Why is it negative that he's playing, that he's working the same thing twice? Why is that a negative thing that you, that you reflect back on the other poem? We love the other poem. We unanimously voted it in. And now we're saying, oh, it makes me think of the other poem. Because I think that with the other poem, it takes okay. what is very frequently um, a kind of woo-woo, um, we're all in this together kind of thing, and actually kind of takes it um, in a further direction and takes right. it to a place that we haven't seen before and makes it literal and makes it true and makes it hard. Um, with this one, I mean, my, my objection is that it moves away from the loss to kind of make the same move. And so in, in a certain way, you're right. We're holding him um, to his own standard, right? That he's competing. I mean, in essence, part of the conversation is him competing with himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's not fair of us to do. But it's, it's also like, it's, well, it's the truth. Like, I mean, when you're reading, uh, when people have a major concern, you know, you're looking at how they're executing it. 
Sure, that makes sense. I'll still stomp my foot and say it's not fair, but I understand what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Um, I'm wondering if we need more discussion or if everybody's pretty planted in their ideas or no. Sharice, did you did you weigh in yet? Um, I weighed in a little. Do you want to weigh in? She loves it. Always <laughs> <laughs> well, persuaded by Sharice. Sharice, Sharice, say what you say more. So because I, I I'm always persuaded by what you say. Seriously? Um, uh, well, I don't, I don't know. I really do love it. Like, I love it all. Um, you know, like, the, the end that we're all, like, discussing very deeply. Um, I really love the flow, or as Kathy said, like, the momentum that's, like, built up there. I really love what, what the the final stanza did for the poem. Like, it, it did make it feel complete, even though it was so different from the rest of the poem. Um, and, like, it was a little tricky to read, but in the end, like it really all works together really well. I think it's really well written um, or crafted, I should say, I guess. Um, and the, the images, um, I'm all for the images here. Uh, it really makes me feel like I'm, I'm kind of like in, I'm kind of in, in these memories, you know, it's not just like telling me all these things. Um, this is what happened this summer. It was a summer, right? Yeah. This is what happened over the summer. I learned how to shoot rabbits and that kind of thing. But I felt like I was really there. Like I had a front row seat to, to watch these things happening. Mm. Uh, so it was really enjoyable about this poem. So I think it's really great. I do love it. Okay. Now are you ready to vote? <laughs> <laughs> I say, yes, let's vote. Let's okay. do it. One, two, three, vote. It's in. Yeah. Nice. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Nick Lance. We're going to pause proceedings for a second. We really. So, dear listeners, we had a little altercation in Jason's backyard, and he has run outside and is trying to take care of something that's happening to his fence, and um, our dear Tim might have to leave during the middle of this, so it's chaos suddenly on the view, but um, we're going to jump back in as best we can and um, go to Nick Lance's third poem, Ghost as Naked Man. I nominate Marion. Yay! Thank you. I accept that nomination. Ghost as naked man with the epigraph, gender is a kind of imitation of which there is no original, Judith Butler. Take away his beard, his hairy flanks, lick your thumb and smear off his Adam's apple, lift away his penis like a live bomb and bury it under a mountain. Hide the testicles behind a bread leaf. Whoops. We're doing that again. I thought that was bread loaf, but it's broadleaf. Dear Nick, I completely rewrote that line. I'm going to do this over. Take two. <laughs> Ghost as a naked man. Gender is a kind of an imitation of which there is no original. Judith Butler. Take away his beard, his hairy flanks. Lick your thumb and smear off his Adam's apple. Lift away his penis like a live bomb and bury it under a mountain. Hide the testicles behind a broad leaf. 
But look, he still goes around town pointing at things he wants and moaning, rattling his imaginary chains. Every time he sees his reflection in a shop window, he cuts a thumb and with the blood paints over gaps in his shimmering reflection. Then he takes a brick and breaks the glass. There, he says, look what I made. Wow, Marion, you're such a good reader. <laughs> Red loaf. And, and Nick Lance is a good writer. That, 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 that was really, really lovely. Yeah. Really great. Yeah. I like that. That's a tip. Jason, I heard you. You're back. So you can tell us maybe if there's time, you can tell us about the um, fence. But. Um, uh, okay, so our initial impression, everybody's like, whoa, about this. Gender is a kind of invitation. Part of the poem with this image from um, Judith Butler, which is a, a theory of gender, is about the sort of um, simulacrum, like the image of the image of the image of the image, like straight down into like like just layers like the, the reality is the layer right so to have him like cutting his thumb and putting blood over glass and that 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 is marking his reflection is wicked it's just like a wicked manifestation of this this idea from bard from judith butler i think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how about he i mean this image too he still goes around town pointing at things he wants and moaning Mm -hmm. rattling his imaginary chains i can just see it right mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. oh my goodness well, the, the, the notion of destruction as kind of like the height of male mm -hmm. and um that this just I, I love that that final image that you know after destroying something look what i made yeah mm-hmm mm -hmm. and such in such a futile way to kind of assert yourself in the world yeah, I find this really interesting because it's like the first stanza is um, the literal like emasculation of this man, this naked man, this ghost. But then the second stanza is like he, the way that he's behaving, he's trying to reaffirm his manhood, um, or you know what we typically see as his manhood, and um, like specifically looking at rattling his imaginary chains and. Uh, when he sees his reflection, he cuts his thumb and paints with his bloody thumb over gaps. And um, so it's like these like clear images of um, what has been done to him. I don't know who has done it to him, if it's society or if it's supposed to be like the female gender or um, something that's taking away his manhood. And then he's trying to reassert it like desperately. Mm -hmm. Can this poem work without the quote at the beginning? I like reading the poem without the quote. Really? Mm. I, I like it without like the quote. Telegraphs it too much. Mm. No, because mm. I think that without the quote, it becomes the, the, the emasculation is quite different. I think that with the quote, yeah. it suggests that all of these pieces are actually without um, foundational meaning or without kind of mm -hmm. anatomical originality and that with without with the quote um, it's really a kind of restoration of something or a removal of something that was always itself created I, th I think the quote is really necessary mm -hmm. 
And I'm also surprised, like, I mean, Butler, if, like, I don't know, if you've been reading Butler for a long time, um, I don't think of her as poetic. I mean, particularly the earlier work. I mean, it was turgid. I mean, it was hard to get through those pages. Um, And then to kind of, like, pull this out in this, like, really elegant sort of, um, I mean, just poetic statement. I was kind of like, oh, well done. That's a nice piece. Mm-hmm. Something I really like about it is um, like how in the second stanza it seems like the the only action he's left with is like violent action and I feel like there's a lot of conversation right now about like people's reactions to things happening like in the US and in the world that like are violent reactions Mm -hmm. and um, I think you know, it's saying a lot about gender, obviously, and it's saying a lot of really interesting things, but that in particular sticks with me and feels very timely. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like with the quote, it narrows the possible meanings of the poems. And without the quote, you can get, you, you can get more different areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it without the quote. What other readings would you have that are available without the quote? Mm-hmm. Me or Samantha? Yeah, but I, I, I was reading it in a similar way that Samantha was reading it. I feel like I feel like a lot of the violence that's going on currently is just a result of uh, people feeling like they're being they're losing power, and they're looking at it in such a narrow way that they don't see all of the ways that we can coexist, and so they're just stamping their feet and causing a lot of fuss. Um, and, so, and one of the problems is that maybe there are a lot of people who are powerless and instead of kind of being powerless together and supporting each other, they then can focus on their own problem. But I feel like this poem could kind of connect a lot of different points of powerlessness. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like if you're also someone who feels powerless, who reads this, if you're, if, if you are able to read the poem and connect and see that, then you might be able to come to that on your own terms and stop breaking things. The problem, I think one of the problems nowadays with the division in the country is that both sides are shouting at each other and not allowing each other to, to come to any sort of realization on their own terms. So they just get defensive about it. Um, Wait, Tim, I want to jump in and say, I think that's precisely why the epigraph works, though, right? Because we're talking also about a very particular kind of power and violence, and it's masculine, or masculine seeming in its rage. But with the Butler quote there, it's, it's in violence and enraged surfaces, right? So the, 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 the idea here is that you know, like, look, look what I made is chaos, but it's chaos built, built out of and through surface meaning that has gotten traction and, and, um, accrued power over time, but is in fact, um, precarious. Right. And I, I, at least, at least I think that's part of the subtlety of the, the work the poem's doing. And so the epigraph, even though it might feel like it's kind of on the nose, complicates the, the work of the poem rather than 
then totally telegraphs it. Um, so I, I think I would, I, I would, I would advocate for keeping that epigraph right there and letting the poem be a study of, of masculinity um, and its surfaces and refractions and dangerous powers. Right. Um, and, and, and it's emptiness ultimately, right? Like the, 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 the simultaneity of all of that is, is what's churning in the poem. And I think that works weirdly works. Don't we get there anyway? Um, well, you know, it's funny, like, you know, what we were talking about, like how the middle poem talks back to the first poem. I think this talks back to the first poem too. There's no way. I mean, maybe, Maybe I have to ask Nick Lance this over a shot at AWP, but like it really feels like his project is to be in conversation with other ideas and authors, right? Like there's a, there's a way in which there's like legacy conversation that goes on underneath these poems, um, that these aren't ideas in isolation that, that, you know, he is in conversation with Butler. He is in conversation with, you know, that, that sort of like Hamlet moment of uh, that, that, that line from Shakespeare, right? Like that's, that's part of the richness is the, the illusions that he's making. Um, and I think that deepens the work rather than reduces it. I mean, knowing that he's contemplating gender is socially constructed, but he's, as, as Marion put it, that he's kind of in, in conversation with this idea of gender as a social construction. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it limits the reading as much as it directs the reading. Yeah. And you're right, like you have to read it differently because of the epigraph. But I, th- I think that's crucial. And I'm not uncomfortable with, I don't, I don't think of that as a limitation. I think of that as a direction. Right. I think we're ready to vote. Okay. Y'all. Y'all. All right. Um, okay. Let's do it. One, two, three, vote. And it's unanimously in. Woo-hoo. Nice. 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 Go, hey, Nick Lance. Go, go, Nick Lance, but also PBQ readers, listeners, and editorial team. Could I just take two minutes and read a poem that, that just like leapt to mind with um, in conversation with Nick's poem, Ghost is Naked Man? Um, sure. Let's just say bye to Tim. Tim's got to go. Bye. You've got to look this poem up. you got to promise me you're going to look this poem up. So this is... Um, this goes way back. This is issue 66, 67 of PBQ. And this is an early poem by Ada Lamont. And it's called After the Storm. Ready? After the Storm. Morning is too much after the hurricane. Umbrella bones scattered, sun baking, wet sidewalk. My mouth sour with alcohol, feeling a little sorry for myself. I put take a shower on my list of things to do. Brush my teeth. Get over big love. My body is shaking. I want to make a sound, something that might travel 3,000 miles, hit canyons and echo. Boom. I think I want to boom. From the gated park, there comes a rumbling, something rising, pulling cords out of the earth. I stop, listen. Maybe this is me. Then cracking in a violent pounding of sound, a tree falls, limbs shaking. In the echo of the aftermath, shh, I quiet my heart, sound still bouncing in my belly, in my shoes. Did you hear that, I say? I made that big sound. 
I had forgotten the ending of that poem. Oh my um, God, what a great last line. That big sound. Right? Like, there you go. Like, honest to God, like these, these two poems are just like this beautiful echo chamber. So complicated and beautiful and lovely, but boom, boom. I made that big sound. Ada Lamont. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for well, thank you, Mayor. <laughs> thank you for letting me do that. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll link to it on the podcast page as well in, in our in our notes for this um, episode. What a what a great episode! Uh, um, even yeah. with the chaos of Jason, is everything okay? Um, well, what, they what, what, they, what they're doing to the fence is, is ultimately fine, but they should consult with us before they do it to our fence. Indeed. 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 Sorry. All mean, right. Editorial in Brooklyn today. Are they painting oh, Starvation God. Ranch on it or something? No, they're, they're not painting it with cheap red paint. Cheap red paint. So that's for cheap red paint. Did your my my mother always told me that? Like whenever we drove past a red barn, she always say, "You know, barns are red because red paint is cheap." Mm. You know, my father would say that, and my father would also say. The deer go to bed at 7 p.m. <laughs> he would say, you know, he would just make things up and we believed everything he said. Um, so I wasn't sure that, bar- that red paint really was cheap. But now I believe it might be true. And actually, like, I know nothing about barns. Um, <laughs> not only because I lived in South Philly all my life, but when I read it, I was like, that's not true. And so I looked it up. Did you? Apparently, like that is one reason, but another reason is because, like, apparently, like rust was added to like the mixture to paint barns because oh. the um, whatever it is and rust like kills moss and, and um. Get out of town! Yeah. So, like, a lot of people would paint their barns with that, and then it became like a tradition. So wow. I was like, oh, I was like, he lied to us. But apparently, that is another reason. It's like, one of the reasons. Say, like, right. red paint is cheap, and and it's like really plentiful, and that's why it's so cheap. That's amazing. It's like, wow, I learned something. <laughs> and you know what's interesting? This is back to my father, too. He worked for U.S. Steel, and he used to point out steel structures at, that were rusted and say the rust actually made them stronger, like made them glued mm. together better, fused. Mm. Like, I think it's a yeah. sealant or something like that. Well, yeah. There is a fascinating. Like, like the, the new Net Stadium um, in Brooklyn – um, where they had the Democratic National Convention, um, it's it's covered with a layer of protective rust. And I kept waiting. I, I was thinking like, oh my God, this is so terrible. They built this thing and it's already rusting. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, there's such a thing as like protective rust that like will go into the wood, but no further. But like I have to paint my... Um, my metalwork um, with like Rust-Oleum because otherwise the rust will like eat it away. I don't know why that, I don't know why my ironwork will rust all the way through and the net stadium won't, but. I think it's exactly what you said. I think steel has different properties than mm. other metals. Well, steel does What about tin? What about oh, my tin roof? I, um, guys, let's, um, let's, um, wrap it up here. Anybody have anything left to say? We've gone an hour. I think we're good. I think I would like to, um, ask our listeners to please, um, share this, 
this and all of our episodes and tell us what you think and follow us on all social media platforms. And, um, and we love you. Keep reading. XOXO. <laughs>